When God created Eve out of the side of Adam, did he have an even deeper, more profound mystery in mind, something that would stretch out over thousands of years in the making? Find out on this episode of Discover Your Spiritual Identity. It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. When God created Eve as a companion for Adam, I believe he had a much deeper, more profound, and more long-lasting purpose in mind, and that was the development of the bride of Christ that would take centuries and millennia to accomplish. God loves to hide his purposes, his plans, and his prophetic foreshadowings in symbols and metaphors and similes. That's why when Jesus came to earth, he spoke in parables. That's the way the mind of God works. He's very poetical in the way he expresses things and prophetical in the way he expresses things. I believe once you see this pattern of imagery in the beginning of the creation, you're going to have a great big wow come up in your spirit to understand the perspective that God has in a simple act, a simple act of creating a suitable companion for Adam, God was stretching out a mystery that would be unveiled over millennia and on into eternity. Now, first we need to see that God views himself in the role of a husband or a bridegroom, if you will. Isaiah 54, verse 5, God himself says this, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. Your maker is your husband. God sees himself in this role. He is married to those who are in a covenant relationship with himself. Now, God, in anticipation of this ultimate outcome, started foreshadowing it and hiding symbols and signs and prophetic glimpses of that truth in the creation of Eve for Adam. And there's at least 10 different facets of the creation of Eve that speak profoundly of what is happening as God brings forth and creates the bride of Christ. Let me read. Let me start by just reading to you Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, and then we'll come back and take some of those verses and develop the idea, the concept. All right? Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make an helper comparable to him. The King James Version says, an help meet for him. That's where you get the word helpmate. It came out of the King James Version of this statement. 
Then he went on to say, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. So Adam is participating in this act of creative uh, genius displayed by God. As God creates the animals, Adam creates names for the animals, participating together in the creation. There's a message in that. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. Incidentally, there's kind of... Um, an idea that I've heard spoken many, many times that men have one less rib than women, and that's uh, an indication of this Bible story being true. But that's not true because men and women both have 12 sets of ribs, 24 altogether. Continuing with scripture, then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Were not ashamed. All right, the 10 profound prophetic comparisons between this story in Genesis chapter 2 and the unveiling of God's purpose in the bride of Christ stretching out over centuries and millennia. Number one, the words, not good. Have you ever realized that was the first negative statement to be uttered in the universe and in creation? Up until that point, everything God made, he assessed it and said, it's good. It's very good. But After he created Adam, he made his first negative observation. He said, it is not good for man to be alone. Why did God recognize that in Adam, since this was um, a situation that did not really have a solution? It, uh, there was nothing existent that could be the helper for Adam that God thought he needed. It's because God's mind sees not only what is, but what is not yet. And so God saw the potential that uh, had no present comparison or no present way of fulfilling it. And so he said it's not good that man should be alone. And probably, I would dare to say, The reason God saw that need in Adam is because God recognized that need in himself. Really, he could have gone on to say it's not good for God to be alone because that's the purpose behind the creation of Adam and Eve and all of their offspring and the bride that would come forth from the Adamic offspring is because God doesn't want to be alone. God wants to to have a people, a multitude without number, with whom he will enjoy fellowship and oneness eternally. And of course, that's why he saw the need in Adam, because that need was resident within himself. Then, number two, the second 
prophetic comparison. Eve was actually hidden in Adam before she was brought forth and separated from Adam only to be rejoined to him forever. In like manner, you and I, if we are born again, children of the Most High God, we were hidden in God prior to ever being born into this world. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says that you and I were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. How profound is that? See, the Spirit goes back to God who gave it, but the Spirit was existent within God for eternity past. That particle of life, if you would, that created our spirit was a part of God. And not in the sense that New Agers uh, take it, that there's a divine essence in every human being. I don't believe that. But I do believe the spirit that is in us now was initially in God as something he intended to create later on. And that's interesting to see. Uh, Also, Another scripture that's really powerful is 2 Timothy 1.9. And uh, that scripture says, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which were given to us in Christ before the world began, the King James says. But the original Greek word translated world is chronos, which really means time. So other translations say before time began. So, before time began, in eternity, the substance that would bring forth the born-again children of God, the spirit that was supposed to be within us, ultimately was hidden in God. But not only was our spirit hidden in God, a purpose that would be attached to our lives was hidden in God, and grace to fulfill that purpose was hidden in God. Now, I don't believe we existed consciously. That's a very important point. I don't believe we had a conscious pre-existence, but I do believe that we were part of an eternal plan that God intended to bring forth, and it has an eternal outcome that God intends to fulfill. So Eve was hidden in Adam, and then she was separated from him for a season, only to be rejoined to him in oneness, in a beautiful union. So also you and I were hidden in Christ, chosen in him from the foundation, only to be separated from him for a season, but then ultimately rejoined to him in a wonderful relationship that will last forever. Number three, the third comparison is that God put Adam in a deep sleep, a deep sleep prior to pulling the rib out of his side, which involved the first bloodshedding in this new creation that God had made. Think of that. There was blood involved in the production of the bride of Adam. So, Blood was involved, and we'll see that more so in a little bit in the production of the bride of Christ. But he put him to sleep. And sleep is a biblical symbol of death. I think it's important to see that all through the Old Testament, say, for instance, 
when a king died, it didn't say that he died. It said that he slept with his fathers. When Jesus was on his way to the grave of Lazarus, he said, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go to awake him out of his sleep. Now, I do not believe in soul sleep. I have a a teaching on that. And many people have misconstrued those scriptures to mean that the soul sleeps with the body in the grave, and that's not true. And you can go to the truelight.net and go to the podcast teachings in the archives and see my teaching on soul sleep. But there is a symbol here that God put Adam to sleep in order to bring out of his side the substance that would produce the bride. And so also the Messiah, the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, went into the deep sleep of death for three days in order for the substance of what would produce the bride of Christ, the substantial things, the substantial actions that would produce the bride of Christ would be brought forth. And incidentally, not only was Jesus in the deep sleep of death, but two things came out of his side. Just like a rib came out of Adam's side, So also from Jesus' side, when he was thrust through with a spear, came blood and water. Blood and water. What do those represent? Well, of course, the blood contains the life. The life is in the blood. That's a statement from the Old Testament. And the blood of Jesus contained the life of God. Think of that. The spirit of life is associated with the blood, and the spirit of life is a name for the Holy Spirit. Water, what does that represent? Well, the Bible says that we, the church, the bride, are cleansed by the washing of water by the word. So the blood represents the spirit, the spirit of life, and the water represents the word, the word of life. And by the blood and by the water, the bride of Christ has been formed over the centuries. Same thing on a much higher level. Just like a rib came out of Adam's side, blood and water came out of Jesus' side. Highly symbolic things. And notice that it came out of his side. The rib was brought from Adam's side, not from his foot to be under him. God gave them dominion. The Bible never said God gave Adam dominion over Eve. It said God gave them dominion. So um, that's for another teaching, but I I think sometimes men uh, are too dominating in their relationship with women, and I think it should be a sharing of hearts, a sharing of lives, a partnership. And uh, it's a beautiful thing when it's done rightly, when marriage happens correctly. Okay, number five. What was God's purpose in creating Eve? He said, now let me read again from Genesis chapter 2, 18, 19, and 20. God said, it is not good that man shall be alone. should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. That's the New King James Version. The King James says, uh, help meet for him. And the word meet, M-E-E-T, is an old archaic English word we don't use anymore that means fit worthy, suitable, or sufficient. Fit, worthy, suitable, or sufficient. I will make a helper that is fit, 
for him, worthy of him, suitable for him, sufficient for him, a complement to his life, his heart, his mind, his existence. And so that all speaks of what God did in bringing forth Eve. He was creating a suitable partner for Adam, a suitable companion for Adam. And on a much higher level, the creation of the bride of Christ is God making a help suitable for himself. Think of that, a suitable companion, someone that could communicate with him on a higher level than even the angels, a suitable companion in that we would participate in the rulership of the new creation, a suitable companion in the sense that we will be like a queen sitting next to the king of kings on his throne in eternity to come, a partner for all time and eternity. That's what the bride of Christ is supposed to be. We are partnering with God in the advance of his kingdom in this world. In fact, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, Born-again believers are referred to as fellow, fellow helpers to the truth. Helpers of the truth. So we are God's helpers. Every day I witness to somebody, I'm helping God. I'm helping his cause. Every time I worship him, I'm helping God by fulfilling his need for fellowship with the offspring of Adam. We are helpers suitable for him comparable to him because we bear his image. And nothing else in this world is suitable for that. The animals were not suitable for Adam. Neither are the animals suitable for God. He loves them, but he wanted a partner and a companion that was on a much higher level. And certainly we fulfill that. Number six, the prophecy, leaving the father. As soon as Adam laid his eyes on Eve. The first prophecy to be uttered in this world took place. Imagine that. The inspiration for the first prophecy was the beautiful woman that God created to be Adam's partner. And Elizabeth on the other side of the camera is nodding her head with a knowing kind of gesture. Okay, so let me read it. When Adam laid his eyes on Eve, and I believe she was gorgeous and he was handsome, and this union's about to take place. Adam says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Then he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Uh, kind of jokingly, I've said, that's blame shifting in the very beginning. The man starts off saying, it's the woman's fault. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. It's the woman's fault. No, not really. But he is indicating that there would be a sacrifice on the man's part to be united with his bride and a transition from one place to another. In like manner, on a higher level prophetically, Jesus, the bridegroom, left the glory of the Father. Remember in John 17, he said, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world began. So he left something behind to come into the world. And so in a symbolic prophetic sense, he left the glory of the Father to come down and find an earthly bride. Just like Adam said, a man will leave his father and mother to be joined to his wife. 
and they too shall become one flesh. Now, this is profound. Number seven, the seventh point of comparison between Adam and Eve's union and the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his eternal bride is this concept of oneness. Oneness. Amazing, amazing truth. Adam and Eve's oneness was a revelation of our oneness with the Lord. Let me read what Paul said about it in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 28 through 32. He said, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Hmm. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Remember how Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh? Well, now Paul says, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So Paul recognized that the creation of Eve was all a prophetic unveiling of something on a much higher level. He said, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. But see, it bumps up to a higher level. Adam said that Eve would be one flesh with him, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says, He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. See, when you get born again, your regenerated spirit, a brand new spirit that comes from God, you're born from above. Born again means born from above. Check out the original Greek, anothen, translated again, literally means from above. You receive a new spirit from above, and that new spirit is saturated with God's Spirit, utterly one, indivisibly one, inseparably one, just like Adam and Eve became inseparably one when they were united together. What a beautiful mystery. And that oneness is not something you achieve by works. It's something that comes as a gift from God. It's one of the most wonderful aspects of the gift of salvation that you've ever received from God, that you, lowly you, lowly me, that we could actually be one with the God who is utter perfection. And yet we are so imperfect. Yet God is taking us on a journey to perfection. Isn't that wonderful? Number eight, the name that was given to Eve. Incidentally, Eve did not receive her name until after the fall. Check it out. It's found in the third chapter of Genesis after the fall took place. Up until that time, the Bible said God called their name Adam. Hmm. So they were so utterly one, they bore the same name. And then after the fall, Eve got her own separate name. Why did Adam name Eve? And in Hebrew, it's the word kavah, which means life giver. And in our English Bibles, it's Eve, which, of course, also means life giver. Now, if he had been speaking literally, 
he would have chosen a Hebrew word or a word that meant death, uh, death imparter, because that's what happened by virtue of the fall. Adam and Eve both imparted death to all of their offspring, but in a way, this was an attempt, uh, a true attempt, an inspired attempt on Adam's part to prophesy redemption and recovery. So he said that he called his name, uh, he called her name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Let me take you to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 45 through 47. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that which is not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Now, in those three verses, and this would take an entire teaching in itself, Jesus is referred to as the last Adam and the second man. The last Adam and the second man. So, what God did in the first Adam is fulfilled on a higher level in the last Adam. And what God did in the first man is fulfilled in a higher level in the second man. The second man, by second man, of course, there's been many men after Adam, but the reason the Bible refers to Jesus as the second man, he's the second progenitor of a new race. Just like Adam was the progenitor of the human race, the second man the Lord Jesus Christ is the progenitor of a spiritual race of glorified saints of God that will be the family of God forever. And we are the fulfillment of Adam's prophecy, even as he called her Eve because she was the mother of all living. All those out of the human race that would ever come into a covenant relationship with God and be restored to life spiritually will be and have been included among the living. And when Jesus comes back again, he will judge between the dead and the living. I've got to hurry up. I've got two more points. Point number nine is that uh, the purpose of Adam's union with Eve is fruitfulness and dominion. That's what God said, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth. In like manner, the purpose of the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, being married with the eternal bride is fruitfulness and dominion. He's still saying, be fruitful and multiply. You and I are called to multiply spiritually by begetting faith in the hearts of other people. Uh, and that's a daily endeavor that should be going on in our, uh, in our lives. Also, we have dominion on a much higher level, dominion over sin, dominion over Satan, dominion over death. Ultimately, we have been created, the bride of Christ has been created for fruitfulness, and that includes bringing forth the fruit of the Spirit, the nature of God's attributes and characteristics, and dominion, walking in authority, walking in power. And finally, Eve's hope, her only hope was one word she got from God. She didn't have the whole Bible like you and I. She had one word from God. And that word was that she would produce an offspring that would bruise the head of the serpent. Here's the prophecy, Genesis 3, 14 and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And God speaks to the serpent these words, 
I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Of course, that was fulfilled with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the serpent bruiser that would bruise the head of the serpent, yet his heel was bruised. You can recover from a bruised heel. You can't recover from a bruised head. Now, that bruising of the serpent's head is still going on. Jesus started it on the cross, and it continues through the bride of Christ because Romans 16.20 says the God of peace shall bruise Satan or crush Satan under your feet shortly. And so we are continuing the process of the crushing of Satan's power in this world. All of those symbols were contained in the wonderful story of the creation of Eve in Genesis chapter 2. Isn't that amazing? I want to invite you to listen to my other podcast, Revealing the True Light. It's mostly on comparative religion subjects. I believe you'll be greatly blessed by that. And also, if you want to know more about who we are in Christ, this is all about our calling to be the bride of Christ. Be sure to get my book, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. And if you want to watch this instead of just listening to it in an audio form, go to youtube.com slash Mike Shreve Ministries. Thanks for joining me. I hope it's been a blessing. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.